Hola niños, uh, welcome back to the Grim Reader podcast, a podcast where three best friends judge each other's books by their cover and review them. I'm back. Woo. We can promise that's not a recording of Chloe talking. The ghost of Chloe has returned. Uh, but yeah, Woo. never coming home, never coming home. <laughs> the oh prodigal co-host has returned. That's me. That's you. Back. Yeah. She's back. Shady's um, back. So, Tell a friend. Louis back again. So it means all the roasting is back too. Great. So, woohoo. Such a relief for the past seven weeks to, you know, while every other fast of my life was going down the drain. It was nice not to be roasted by everyone every time. <laughs> but again, I was being roasted by seven-year-olds on a daily basis. So, But anyway, um, on Chloe's return, she sent into our Grim Reader and she sent in a request well at well she asked did we do this yet and we haven't was to draw a picture of shrek from memory and <laughs> i haven't even looked at a picture of shrek since drawing this picture i've watched them um, both so i think <laughs> i think mine's pretty good <laughs> i thought mine was really good i forgot and did it right before we were going to record and showed it to my boyfriend and I just hold mine up. I was really proud. Okay, I'm not, okay. I'm not talented. Okay. I tell everybody this. Oh, you can't see it. I can't see it. No. Can you see it? Send Wait. in a photo. I'll turn the lamp. Send in a photo. Okay, I'll send in a photo. Um so I yeah, will tell you, like as I was yeah, drawing this, Matteo was watching and um he was like, Who is that? And he was like, Is it a potato? <laughs> is it <laughs> is it all that I was like no I said how can you not look at the ears look at the ears how can you not know and yeah look at his handsome face he was like is it me I was like don't <laughs> be me to yourself I thought good. it was really good and then he was like the teeth are really good literally turned to me and goes it's okay Becca you're you're not really? artistic that's very good <laughs> so very good you've gone for um a simplistic view yes it's very like this is like millennial book cover drawing when it's like yes if we just layer that with like you know a kind of pastel pink outline yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. but uh that that was my one and the harsh judgment i got (laughs) from mateo what i gotta tell you is i went full body with mine Oh. I'm excited. Okay, oh, I'm looking forward to this. Because um, Becca's missing a few key details. See, Nikki can um, draw, so that's why I'm going to go. No. <laughs> sexy. No, the eyelashes. <laughs> oh my God, it's famously. such charming anime eyes. <laughs> Does anime Shrek have eyebrows? Like... He's my favorite anime. <laughs> He has eyebrows, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) He has eyelashes. (laughs) He's more than eyelashes. I feel like he's full on trying to flirt or something. He's like, nah. Oh my god, what did you do down by his crotch? (laughs) He's packing. This is this is the problem. That one was pretty good, <laughs> okay. But Donkey. then I got cocky and I tried to draw <laughs> Donkey really as well. Did. Oh my god, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> 
I'm crying again. This happened the last Oh my god. <laughs> Nikki, Jesus, what's he on? <laughs> Donkey. <laughs> Donkey on crack. <laughs> He looks like Donkey. Oh, I need to take a break. I'm actually... <laughs> okay, are you ready for mine? Yes. Okay, one sec. One sec. Oh, I th- yeah, I'm, I'm laughing up a sweat here. <laughs> oh, Mine's so good. Ready. I don't know what's wrong. Oh. The eyes. Look at the eyes. <laughs> He's so good. <laughs> It's like, do you know those guys? Two big hands. (laughs) Do you know what he looks like? Go on. I was gonna say, you know, you know, when a kid comes into the room at like two a.m. It's like, mom, I got sick. (laughs) Uh, I was gonna say he looks like a Scooby Doo villain, (laughs) like those costumes. It's those like it's that thousand yard stare. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it is hilarious though. The eyes oh. are so scary. <laughs> Chloe, there's a there's a very not nice looking stain it's on tea. this. It's just tea, you disgusting oaf. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, we will post these um so that you get hair? to you get to enjoy them too. No, I was just trying to be ha- I thought he had a little sprouty here. I don't think he has hair. I think he's bald. I'm going to find Shrek. liver spots on his head. And I kind of thought, like, maybe they were a little hairy ones. I don't know. I can't. Um, He is a bald egg. No, sir. He is a bald egg. This ogre. This ogre is bald, okay? Okay. Thank you. Oh, he has eyebrows. Look at him. He has very tiny eyelashes, though. Look at those tiny eyelashes, Nikki. Yeah, and they are reflected in my tiny eyelash. I think I got the teeth very good. I think I got the teeth very well with the teeth. Yeah, Rebecca Rebecca wins the teeth. Chloe wins the the menace of it all. (laughs) Uh, Will we get on to books? Yes, sure. So, Chloe is up first. And she's already sent her photo in because she was prepared. efficient. Oh, so I'm guessing this, and it is a very striking cover. It's called Embroideries by uh, Marjan Satrapi. Thank you. It is a very striking cover. I'm immediately getting like a '90s scene. Um, like even the yeah. So it is in typical Chloe fashion. She's coming back with her usual color. It is hot pink. Yeah, is, I, yeah I forgot that hot pink is my vibe. Literally, yeah. if a cover has hot pink on it, like I won't touch Chloe it anymore because Chloe's going to be reading it. Um, so hot pink background and then the rest of it is in either black or white. So you've got embroideries at the top and big black bold writing. And then you've got these cartoon characters. I Kind of caricatures mm-hmm. of real people, but it's all women. Um, all very different looking. Like one of them looks like an elderly Morticia Adams. Yeah, she does. Doesn't she? Yeah, I was actually, yeah. Um, and then you've got Helen Helen Murren to the right of her. Mm, and I'd Theresa agree. May. <laughs> oh no, she does not know. Mm-mm, she doesn't feature in this story. You've um, respect for these characters. So, okay. Embroideries. Huh. Oh, these are always really tough. Okay. 
I'm thinking of um, you know, when Leslie Knope makes the makes the family unity quilt and has to <laughs> embroiders on things. <laughs> ah. oh, yeah. I'm gonna say that this is a family. It's all based around a family and um they're really tight knit, but it's um really the women that get it the whole family running like i'd say they're based in a small town in like rural i was gonna say ohio mm -hmm. but rural ohio it's what's coming to mind we haven't mentioned that state yet um <laughs> well, and... thank you. we're taking them off as we go or we're taking yeah. them off as we go we're like sophie and stevens we're gonna give up eventually and go back to illinois <laughs> yeah, we're gonna give up after three <laughs> and i'm gonna say oh actually i like rural illinois Never been, but <laughs> either north, uh, rural northern Ohio or northern uh, rural Illinois. But anyway, family, and I'm going to say that they own most of the town. Um, they own like the local inn, the bar, everything. I'm getting proposal vibes from this. Yeah, <laughs> can you tell? This tiny town. It's Greek. But yeah. <laughs> everything, everything's been put down to the um, kind of the the grandfather of the family. But really, it's Rebecca. actually what I thought. You said I thought you said everyone's been put down. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's the whole story. <laughs> oh no! Um, everyone has put it down to the grandfather, and but it's really actually um, the women in his the family that invest all the money and like. He just takes credit for it. And they're kind of getting sick of it, do you know? Because when people call over for business meetings, they have to sit in the room to like pretend they're embroidering. Got that in there. Um, but actually they're listening for like details. So anytime... Um, when, what era do you think this takes place in? I'm going to say the early 90s. I'd say like it's very early 90s, but like this town is kind of set... A little bit backwards, I'm gonna say. Yeah. And um anyway yeah, America none of America's like that. Don't don't be Yeah, I'm like any that. American listeners, if we have any, don't hate me. Um so I'm gonna say that each of the women in the family are have like are amazing. Like they're they're all really eclectic kind of thing, and all the men are kind of boring, do you know? And you know, one of them, one of the women is an artist. Another is like a famous jazz musician. Throwing that in for Nikki to get because hey. I can see she's not hey. listening. I am. I'm sorry. And... I have a really bad headache all day. Oh. Um. Okay, I won't roast you then for not listening. Um, <laughs> You'd roast and... me if it was if, if I was in this position. How dare I'm... you? <laughs> I'm gonna say that it's. Um, this is all the backdrop to the story. What's happening is that the youngest son or the youngest member of the family um, is getting married. And all the family, because they're not all living in the town anymore because there's too many of them. And a lot of the women are like, I don't like this situation anymore. Do you know? Um, like, you want to take over the family business, but you want my help. Like, do you know? They're like, I have my own career. And anyway, this is a huge gathering. And... You know, this uh, fiancé has been told, like, oh, I'm taking over the family business. My um, uncles and my dad don't want it because their wives don't want it. And he said, you know, this is going to be our life. So um, 
she thinks like he's he says he's gone to business school all that kind of stuff when she gets there she kind of starts unraveling the secrets of the family and how the women have put up with the men so far and like finds out that your man failed business school and um he picked oh my god he picked like to over start, the head is <laughs> <laughs> he he picked this girl because she came like top of her year she was the valedictorian and like she has an amazing uh career in some financing thing and he's like yeah this is the perfect choice for my granddad you know my granddad's thing so he's trying to repeat the tradition and you know getting to chat with these women she's learning about like how their lives have all interconnected and that how have they put up with all this do you know like an embroidery yeah working it in there this is completely not right about this story at all (laughs) so it's it kind of um examines her relationship and like how she might not have realized these things sooner do you know she it's kind of been a whirlwind romance i'm gonna say that like it was really quick um i'm gonna say they got they moved in together within three months and they're engaged within five or something like that Mm. and she now realizes why he he became her perfect man well, because he p- practically stalked her to find out what. So he's looking for a business partner. He's not looking for a life partner. I love much. And she's like, I'm going to kick it all down. And she goes to all the women and she's like, right, if I put an investment opportunity forward to you, would you like to help me buy out the grandfather and we run this town ourselves like it always should have been? And they're like, hell yeah. So it te- ends up being like for themselves they're doing it for themselves and it ends up being like this amazing like town like suddenly jazz musicians start coming here and it's like a hotbed for music you know art galleries start popping up because of the artist all this other kind of things you know and they build a much better society around it and sorry i'm john is gonna hate me again man bashing we don't need them and um yeah so that's my that's my thing about like women helping other women build a better Love society. That. Thank you. Sisters are doing, are it, doing for it for themselves. I was actually surprising. I was actually surprised that neither of you mentioned a lesbian commune in that oh, story. True. True. Well, yeah. they're all family. They're it all family. Implied. Oh, okay. Maybe it wasn't implied. <laughs> <laughs> but none of them are related, though. It's all by marriage. It was implied. (laughs) So seven brides for seven brothers. I did love that movie, but watching it back, it's it's not a good message. It's like, oh, I was about to spoil a TV show with like the final twist at the end. Yeah, don't, because I haven't seen any. (laughs) I have never seen a singular TV show. What even are television? (laughs) <laughs> but go on, Chloe. Tell us, tell us okay. what it's about, because I'm very wrong. So you you have little elements of it, these little whispers of correctness, but like they're little. <laughs> <laughs> so this is embroideries by Mar- Marjan Satrapi. I've been, I was calling her Marianne for years. Then I saw an interview with her, and I was like, oh, I've been wrong all this time. Yeah. Um. So she's an Iranian writer, and um, this isn't her first book. She's also um written Persepolis, which is probably her best known yes. um, book, which I have shot myself in the foot now by doing this because I can't do Persepolis in future. You can. <laughs> um, but 
Nick, but you've I done several you. by... You've done a few Stephen King, haven't you? Um, Did I do two? You did two you by did some me. author. I did. I did Doctor Sleep and I did The Long Walk. Yes. And he wrote it under an alias. So I'm Zero just Grant. not going to tell you anything about her most famous book. Um, but yeah, this was originally published in French um, back in 2003. And then um, it was translated into English and was published in this edition in 2008. Uh, so fun enough, it's actually a graphic novel. Ooh. She surprises Ooh. us again. Surprises you again, the old bait and switch. Um, <laughs> so this book um, is basically about um, all the women... The women in a family like basically after dinner in like you know an Iranian household the men will retire to one room and the women will retire to another and it's basically a this book is like an ode to the art of gossiping and it's so wonderful and uh, there's a quote quite early on in it uh, where um oh no I've lost it oh nowhere to go I love that you yes. have bits of the book marked off Yes, and that's the bit that I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the grandmother in it, who I think you were calling Theresa May, um, she says to speak behind others' backs is the ventilator of the heart. <laughs> and I just love it. Like, they're just proud gossipers. And this book is all about their gossiping, about people's marriages, um, oh. like kind of crude stories about other people um and just like these little anecdotes um that I imagine are pretty grounded in reality because without saying too much I have met these characters before this book and well, I've met a number of them before um I've met the grandmother um namely and she's an icon I love her um but yeah they're just ma- mainly talking about men and sex and love and everything like you know within like the kind of comfortable confines of the Gartles you know like it's just the girls having the chats um over a big cup of tea and it's as good as that like the title actually comes from um a particular story in it where um a woman um comes to one of these women like in distress this was years and years uh, before that um she's like oh i i'm getting married in like 20 days but i am like i have a lover and now i'm not going to be a virgin marrying my husband and what am i going to do like he's not going to accept me if i'm not a virgin and all this and that's where the embroideries comes in it's like i'll just get sewn back up (laughs) it's grand (laughs) like and uh, so that theme kind of re-emerges that's where the embroideries comes in like obviously it's a whole like you know kind of like you know women take part taking part in like you know very like typically female crafts like embroidery but it's really about uh, virginity and like restoring your virginity um but the way they deal with it they talk about it is like really light-hearted really funny really warm like I just feel like I'm in someone's front sitting room with a cup of tea having the chats and it's so wonderful um but yeah that was the, the, like the one of the story to continue that story um and uh, this was in like the 1950s in Iran and um the friend had already been divorced once even though she's only like in her early 20s so she told her friend like right I'm going to come up with a solution for you like don't panic it's going to be fine your wedding night will go off without a hitch and then it came to her and during the night she was like okay, so you're going to have a razor 
and then you are going to like this is all really lightheartedly put across like and then you're going to get into bed with him and then like as he puts in you're just going to nick yourself and scream and then you'll be grand he won't know the difference but then (laughs) she doesn't really get how sex works and like as in like he's like taking off his shirt and she like digs herself with the razor and starts screaming <laughs> and she cuts him instead oh my god um, and I was always howling I this re-read is it. what happens when there's no proper sex education this, sex education. this book is like a test of why sex education is very important oh but um, all these make great stories that they tell and kind of hush hush like oh you didn't hear this from me now but uh, did you hear about your one down the road and it just like you know, like gossip is the universal language. Um, like you know, these Iranian women like talking about their experiences with their samovar is very much the same as yourself and your mom and Bridie from down the road having the chats over a cup of tea. It's it's just very universal. And what I love about this book as well, like I'm a bit more I used to be very into graphic novels and there's mm. this great book um the art is it the art of comics uh, by Scott McCloud and it goes in it's a comic book all about how comic books are formed their history their kind of makeup mm. the importance of like frames in comics and how they influence the timing of the story it's really really good but uh this is not a traditional graphic novel in that it has no um frames so it just be- oh. and I think that really really works like it's you know, not that traffic tourist that, that, that was like <laughs> what I was just gonna say I was like do you know what those characters actually remind me of the traffic tours <laughs> well, it all back. like there's a really interesting page let's see can I find it where I just think that it helps the story really flow that it's like a non-continuous just a chat and you know you go off on tangents you come back to certain things um but there's a chapter where they're describing an affair that one of them had and where did it go sorry pause the game (laughs) um but basically he has an affair and then she decides I'm gonna have an affair and just the timing that they put across in it oh come on yeah this so it's spread over two pages so you know she's like oh he was kissing women on the mouth like I've never seen someone k- get kissed on the mouth before and then like you know in the same page you know he's started and she starts and it just flows pretty beautifully that like it's all outside the same house but at different occasions and I don't know I just think that's really cool um, and it just feels warm and inviting and it's just a very fun book and some of the stories are gas like and they're, they're totally obscene like there's one about like you know a love potion but you must use his seed and then then if he drinks the tea he will marry you and all this but like it's all a total disaster and he won't drink the tea and he's like I prefer Coca-Cola ew what's the spite stuff in my tea that's such oh, like God. old wives story stuff. Oh, like it's, it's a bunch of old wives tales and they're delivered in such a funny, warm way. And it's hilarious and totally like the least PC thing ever. It's very, <laughs> it, it's so crude. I love it. Um, <laughs> very, very fun. It's and just not what I thought it was going to be at all. Yeah, same. There's another bit where this, there's an artist in it. That's where you got to correct, you know, this, yeah. um, 
woman she um left iran in the 50s and um she trained to be an artist in europe and so like you know she's coming back with all these very like european ideals and uh, she doesn't really believe in fidelity and um she's like one of them is saying that like i was having an affair with this man but like he was never going to leave his wife and i just wanted him to leave his wife for me and then she's like <laughs> You idiot. You you don't want to be the wife. You want to be the mistress. A wife has to clean all his clothes, put up with his hemorrhoids. Like, you know, when he gets the flu, she has to look after him and all his tantrums. Whereas the mistress gets him with his teeth flawless and his shirt pressed and he's in a good mood and he thinks you're fabulous. <laughs> oh, it's just great. I mean, to be honest, Let's she's not wrong. Marry. I mean, like, you know, the points were made. You know, um, she she done new. Absolutely, uh, but yeah, so that, that that is the page I was telling you about with the spell. Oh god! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Oh, this is like this is Becca's worst nightmare of a book. <laughs> oh, but you know what? This, it, they're so funny, and like they're talking about like nose jobs, like um that you know she one of them had this like really really protruding nose so she was like obviously I had to get a nose job and then they're talking about the grandmother and how she's when Marjan was little she used to like point out that her grandmother's nose was awful and disgusting and she was going to like save up uh, with her basically her lemonade stand to get her um get her a nose job and it, it's it's adorable it's it's so so funny the poor yeah. granny like, jesus but you know what they're she's not offended she's just like oh you only spent the money like okay just go buy toys instead <laughs> but yeah there's so many sweet stories so many um, but more 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 of the spicy stories um mm. they're really fun love this book sounds gas it it's hilarious totally recommend enjoy it <laughs> looks pretty short as well it's very short like as in like you'd read it yeah. in an hour easily hmm. it might be why i chose it today <laughs> <laughs> might be why yeah. what would you what would you give out of 10 for what it is nine or ten I think it's perfectly what it is mm. like you know it's I read this book for the first time shortly after it was published I think um oh okay, no that's a lie so maybe I would have read this maybe for the first time 10 years ago um if not a little bit more than that um I became obsessed with Marjan Satrapi when I was in TY so it would have been 15 mm. and this book was out by then so yeah 2011 uh, and uh, this book has made an impression on me ever since. Like it's oh, like I I reread I reread it every you know year or two because it's just it's really fun. And like mm. I've talked about Alison Bechdel on this podcast before, um, and her book Fun Home. Uh, but I had learned about Alison Bechdel from her comic strip Dykes to Watch Out For, and it was the same feeling. Like obviously Dykes to Watch Out For was like you know a. Um, a comic strip for years and years and years and all of these like stories unfolded but it was around this core group of characters and like their experiences as gay women and when I finished the compendium of all the comic strips I thought I felt like my friends had died <laughs> and it's the, oh, it's the same it's like feeling of circle of friends exactly it's like that and like I, you get so entwined in their lives I'm like I'm sick of these mortals like <laughs> entwined in the petty foibles of their lives um, 
but um yeah it's it, it was the same feeling like of just warmth and comfort in a book uh that I just I just loved so yeah I think it does what it's meant to do perfectly yeah no I love books great. like that I a bunch of strong like women having the chats go on love. okay Chloe is guessing my book it is sent okay <laughs> I just went back in and I just saw the Shrek pictures again. <laughs> oh, I know. I was like, wow, I, what I a didn't visually see any white blobs on this. Oh, I know. Okay, Beautiful. so I've I seen think it's okay everywhere. without the blobs. Uh, yeah. Also because Chloe's kind of seen it and I don't think the top really gives it any new direction. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's just a little review. Already. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this book is Luster by Raven Leilani. Um, I've seen this book everywhere, like literally everywhere. It is yeah. you cannot avoid this book at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a white background with kind of Instagram. You know that like thing where you like upload a picture onto Instagram and you kind of zoom in a bit, so it has this nice border. Is that kind of effect? Um, really saying old Instagram doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, it does. I did it like the other day. No, it doesn't do white border anymore. No, not white border, but you know, like it gives you like a, a, a color matched border. All right, Miss Influencer. Oh my God, Chloe is in 2011 over here. So 2008, <laughs> you're so 2000 and late. I got that boom, boom, boom. Um, okay, anyway, this um, book has this kind of inset um, picture. It's close up of a woman's lips, her, kind of, her teeth, just the end of her nose and she's wearing like this beautiful orange lipstick so and then the title luster is written in in white um underneath and it kind of bleeds into this white background Uh, and the um the little review up the top says a taut sharp funny book about being young now it's brutal and brilliant by the one and only zadie smith who i absolutely adore okay so bottom line is i think that mm, luster is that the american spelling or the english but i think that's the american english spelling so oh, is there then, a different spelling i think it's like you know center and cent- center that works better when i write it down <laughs> let me see you know, center or or was pronounced as lustre Lustre. <laughs> um, okay, so I think that the bottom line of this book is that it's about a young black woman's experience of like, you know, being like on the cusp of millennial and Gen Z in a major US city, but I'm not going to say New York. I'm going to say hmm, like Chicago, maybe. I'm going to go with Chicago. Um, and... I don't think that this book follows um, a narrative, essentially. I don't think, I think it's more character driven than plot driven. Um, And I think we get to know this main character. I'm going to call her Elle. Um, So our main character, Elle, is trying to like navigate the world um, in her early 20s. And she's trying to be in a creative industry, maybe like... She's a curator or mm, curator. Maybe she's a musician. Maybe she. Maybe she. Maybe she's a, a singer. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. Maybe. maybe she, no, no, I'm going with the art thing. <laughs> she's um, 
she's like studied art history at like somewhere like Brown and she's embarking on her career and she's meeting many obstacles along the way um including you know um like obviously racism and sexism um and this is like highlighted by particular characters she meets along the way um and like you know lots of lechy old men in stuffy suits who kind of hold the reins in the art world um, and she kind of comes to blows with a lot of them. I think this is also a very sexy book because, come on, that, like this is like such a sexy cover. Like it's such a beautiful cover, and it, it is. I, I, I can hear it in myself as I'm saying this. This sounds really like uh, another book I have covered on the podcast. Um, what's it called? Uh, two seconds. Um, Insatiable by Daisy Buchanan. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm, she's gonna say insatiable. <laughs> Yeah, it's giving me pure insatiable yeah, vibes. But we're not talking a really like annoying little London white girl who's had this like privileged life, but like doesn't know what to do with it. And uh, I think this like brings an edge by bringing like you know race into the discussion and kind of like it's a bit more op- eye opening than um, Daisy Buchanan's book. But I do think it's a very sexy book. And maybe she has an affair with like an older woman I'm going to say in the arts world and it's kind of kept undercover because first of all like you know obviously it they're lesbians but also it's like this whole kind of interracial thing that it won't be accepted by like kind of the older heads in the art world um and yeah like I said I don't think there's a linear narrative I don't I think it's very open-ended I think it's probably going to be quite fragmented we're going to see like a lot of kind of her mental health challenges like throughout this book and we're going to get like a very raw like encounter with how with her own emotions and her own feelings and how she's navigating like how she appears on the outside versus how she's kind of crumbling on the inside um Mm -hmm. as she navigates the world so kind of sounds like um conversations with friends a little bit kind of sounds like this whole wave of fiction that's you know (laughs) around at the moment and like i i've loved so many books in this category and like maybe this isn't in this category at all maybe it's going to surprise me um but yeah I don't know I'm interested to see how how close I got uh I think it's a grim reader first because you were basically right yeah Yeah. oh my god like when when you said your first sentence I felt like me and Rebecca weren't looking through zoom we were looking at each other because I looked up and was like Oh my God. <laughs> so it's funny because I wrote down in at the end of my notes, I wrote down that I watched this really, really good video on a millennial contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. And, and um, like, like you basically you touched on that same thing. So yeah, you're, you're dead on. What's oh my God. Like, like uh, how dead on Like, give me details. You're actually okay. really, really close. Like, yeah, like all <laughs> the major plot close. points are there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A you detail like, or two like changed, but like, you're yeah. like oh, oh, wait, oh my god, I'm so impressed with myself because I literally haven't a clue what this book is about. I just know <laughs> and I know because it's a book I'd pick up. Yeah, mm. it's it's so it is like I what did you call the main character again? L her name's Ed or Edie. 
Oh, so, like, oh my you god! Have, you have Four letters. <laughs> it begins with an E. Oh my god! I, 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 I don't know. The deliciously be honest. Be honest, show. Chloe. Did you actually read this I book? S- <laughs> Hand on heart, I know nothing about this book. All I know is that my instinct kicked in and I know that this is a book that I would immediately pick up. Yeah. And I just saw the deliciously Ella cookbook up on my shelf and I was like, no, not Ella. Ooh, Elle. (laughs) Ew. But then you said it was um, a black millennial in her mid-twenties trying to navigate her way through the world and then you were like I'm not going to set it in New York it is set in New York oh, oh my god <laughs> so, oh my god I know it's so gas so I'm going to I'm going to give you the details and you'll oh, see please. all the oh my everything god. Right. Okay. this is thrilling so I don't know if it's Eddie or Edie when I was reading it I think I was thinking it was Eddie and then when I was writing my notes, I was like, it could be E-D because there's only E-D-I-E, one E-D-I-E, is it? E-D-I-E, yeah. Yeah. So she's our main character. She's 23 years old and she is a black uh, orphan. She actually doesn't have any parents and um, no relatives, nothing. She's living in the city and um, her mother actually committed suicide when she was a child. So already she's a pained narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a really cheap apartment in Bushwick, New York, that's like infested with roaches and it's a flat share as well. And um, she's working in a crappy admin job where she just about makes enough to get by, but she's really self-destructive. So in the job, she's made like a series of like inappropriate choices and like she's sleeping with all her co-workers and she's just creating a really awful like scenario for herself all the time. Um, She doesn't like, it's kind of noted in the book that a lot of people who are in New York at the time have parents to fall back on when things go wrong, but Edie is really alone in the world she doesn't have anyone to fall back on financially like she has to make it work so the other thing with Edie is she only really bases her value on how sexually desirable she is because that seems to be the only time she talks well about herself yeah. is through the lens of what men think of her and she, there's this quote she says I think to myself you are a desirable woman you are not a dozen ger- gerbils in a skin casing <laughs> Oh, and yeah oh, I know god love her so she's a really poor like grip of herself and she just she just needs and she wants to be loved so it's millennial work life um for a black woman in New York and she's just having to work these dog shit hours for dog shit wages just to do what she wants to do in her free time which is which is because she's an artist <laughs> I'm losing my mind here oh my god <laughs> so the story unravels I just have to say the first 40 or so pages are some of the best mm. in literature Go amazing away. writer yeah. like you're in immediately so she meets Eric and he's a digital archivist and he's also a family man mm-hmm. he has a wife and he has an adopted child and but he's in an open marriage but the open marriage has rules so he's really good to her and he tells her a lot about himself and he asks her questions. So is he really good to her? Or she just never really had a relationship like this before when he shows interest beyond sex. Um, he's white and he's twice her age and he takes oh, her first. Sorry. Like I'm so impressed with myself. He takes her on a date and to a theme park 
and there's this really weird age play thing that she kind of notices right away she's like this is so weird because to other people it could look like her uncle or something taking yeah. to a theme park that it's very very weird so already it's quite uncomfy with them uh, but she starts to see him kind of regular she really really likes him and she's really craving to be appreciated by him but he's kind of he's not going with it right away and kind of sleeping with her it's it's kind of a slow burner and she seems to only see her own value through her sexual encounters so she's really kind of losing it a little bit um so she keeps up this affair kind of affair because it's an open marriage i guess but then all of a sudden edie loses her job and she um has to she has to just get another another job really really quick and she tries like a delivery job and she's really miserable and there's this really good quote where she says um the bike lanes in manhattan are already terrifying at 11 a.m filled with delivery boys and girls who jet into traffic with fried rice and no reason to live oh that's great um she's like being the only black woman there or like like she has a line i don't have it written down but it's basically like oh they're trying to gauge how black you are mm-hmm. and there's another girl who in her original job who doesn't get fired who actually gets promoted and it's almost like they had to pick one it's horrible and she says that she looks in the um other girls um what is it the other girl's lifeless calculated eyes because she just has to turn off a new in work so we get this amazing amazing commentary on um like uh, modern racism and how even though it's not outward it's like always 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 it's still impacting people massively you know so she all of a sudden she can't pay for her horrible apartment anymore and she's invited by eric the the guy she's sleeping with by his wife rebecca Ah. to move in to their house while eric is on a work trip so she moves into their new jersey home it's very weird so um she's noticing like rebecca is like a really like um tall thin um blonde white woman and she's kind of saying she's really angular and she's attractive in the way that a triangle is attractive (laughs) it's one of the lines so um she moves into this house and she meets uh eric and rebecca's adopted daughter akila who is also black and Eddie or Edie, Eddie or Edie becomes like the only black or the only black person at Aquila. This little, um, what age is she again, Becca? I don't have written down. Is she 11? But, yeah, about 10 or 11. But she okay. becomes the only black person that Aquila's like ever really met. Wow. She's like in this really um, like elite upper class suburbia in New Jersey. And are they like, you know, the kind you know are they just the bourgeoisie like are they you know like kind of arty liberal people or like uh, i would say they i think they'd be more conservative because okay, okay. i i think i don't the, think so i have an image i think in it's the them. incident uh you know when someone comes over to um give akila uh matt's tutorial and yeah. um he he makes a racist comment to Akila and Edie overhears it and she brings it up with Rebecca later and she kind of just dismisses it as like look Akila doesn't do enough work in maths like she needs this help and it's only after 
like I think she ha- she discusses it with Akila. Like it's really bad. Like the comment, yeah. like it is, it is terrible. It is horrific. But I think what it is as well and is it's... Edie doesn't tell Rebecca the full comment. She kind of goes, "Look, she was being she's being racially abused by this yeah. this tutor," and Rebecca kind of goes, "Oh, I don't think so." Because she does, she doesn't know what's been said, and when she finds out what's been said, she's like, "Oh my god!" But it's kind of it's speaking into the like you should trust when a black woman tells you that mm. there's there's something racial racially charged has happened. You should believe her, you know. But even I think I think the moments with Edie and Akila are just so lovely. Oh, like so even lovely, her hair loveliest. and everything is that, you know. Yeah. Oh. So basically, because because Akila um and just. In case you're listening and you're getting confused, so this is a confusing book. So we've got one more recap. Edie, our <laughs> black millennial, moving in to her um affair slash open um really open marriage. Um, How much moves- does the wife know? Sorry, before oh, we- she knows the everything. wife knows everything. Okay, okay, continue. The wife knows everything. But um she moves in while Eric is away with work, and Rebecca, the wife, doesn't tell him. It's this really oh, weird okay. thing. So it's very, it's very strange. Competition. Mm, like it's very, very, very strange. But Akila and Edie is some of the best moments in the book. Like mm. these, these um Akila kind of finally having someone to talk to. Like because because Akila has been adopted by the couple, but she's gone through a couple of houses already. Okay. And she asks Edie like really calmly, she's like, please don't ruin this house for me. Because she kind of, she's only little, but she kind of is getting a sense of why Edie's here, why she's known by Rebecca and her dad. Mm. And she's like, just don't ruin this house for me. I, I like it here and I don't want to move again. And she's really calm about it. And um, it kind of shows that neither Edie or Akila, even though Akila's in this gorgeous, like suburban white middle class home and um, Edie doesn't have anyone, like neither of them feel secure. Yeah um Edie like teaches like Rebecca was saying Edie teaches Akila things that like her white parents kind of aren't able to because they yeah. just they don't have the same experience so like there's a really lovely scene where she brings her to like a salon and gets like her hair properly done instead of like her mom Rebecca who would just brush through it she's like yeah. no oh my god we'll do it properly and like they do like a scalp loads of scalp treatments and they like bond over that and it's really 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 nice but the relationship between Edie and Rebecca is very, very weird. Akila mm-hmm. and Edie, the little child and her, lovely. The wife and her, weird. And Edie and Eric, it's a little bit gross, but also kind of fades into the background quite a lot. You kind of forget okay. about him. <laughs> okay, interesting. Mm. Rebecca works as a post-mortem examiner. And there's a scene where she brings Edie in with her to paint pictures of the corpses oh okay. <laughs> yeah and like Chloe's you don't even face, yeah you don't need the whole context of the book to get to that point it's it's just weird okay so, so even like, in the context of all the weirdness that's still bizarre okay good to know. still like i i was kind of like the writer is so good that i was wondering was i wrapped in a metaphor and i couldn't see my way out <laughs> Like, am I too dumb to appreciate what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) So Edie, like all these, this kind of new wave of millennial fiction, Edie's not the nicest person. Mm -hmm. I still do really love her, but 
there's like this there's this one quote that I really forgot about until I was rereading it and like there's one and she says I almost lose a seat to a woman who gets on at Union Square but luckily her pregnancy slows her down <laughs> it's really funny like but it's it's you know like the writing in this is really dark really there's a lot yeah. of like really wry and quick humor but like Edie's not great as a person she's very calculated mm-hmm. in a way that kind of it makes me a bit disconnected to the story because I'm like are people actually like like that <laughs> short answer yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> and um it's it's kind of the gone girl syndrome again a tiny mm-hmm. bit it starts to dread there um, sometimes Luster, like the book, is really sad. And there's a scene where she is um, in the, she's in a shop that she's working on and she like asks the customers. So it's basically, I ask my customers to confirm my name. At times to be sure I have the right address, but mostly just to hear the sound. Sorry, not when she's in a shop, when she's driving mm. Deliveroo or, mm-hmm. or Postmates, whatever company it is. But um. Yeah, this book, it deals with an awful lot of sexism, racism, classicism and loneliness. And there's an awful lot of dark humor. There's really beautiful sentences and sentiments like hidden in this book everywhere. As I said, like the first 40 pages are some of the best things I've ever read. I've never been so excited to read a book. But I did feel like halfway I was like, um, I don't know where where we're going now. And it never got bad. It just it fizzled out for me. Yeah. a little bit but it's still very very good so um with Raven Lalani this is her first book and um she actually is also an artist and she wanted to go to art college and be a visual artist but she concluded that like she's not good enough in art to make it in that field and she switched to um she did a degree in English and psychology so I have this really lovely quote by her And um, this is from her Esquire interview. And she says, that was important to me. Don't get me wrong. I have a real soft spot for books that are just about relationships. And I love that. But there's always a different kind of engagement and love I feel for writing that involves the dimension of work. That's actually what we spend most of our lives doing. I wanted to talk about how work and art have a symbiosity, but also adversarial relationship. You need money to live and eat and then to make art. But the job you have can become the thing making it so that you cannot do any living because you spent that bandwidth trying to live. I felt that so deeply in my own life and in the lives of many women that I know. Um, Yeah, gorgeous. And reading that quote after reading the book, I was like, I think I understand this a whole lot more than I did at the time. And after a busy week at work, <laughs> you were like, damn. I was like, well, I was actually just too tired from working to read this book that I had to, I had to work so that I could pay for it. <laughs> like crazy. Has capitalism gone too far? <laughs> I know. Oh, grim. Yeah. So this book, it comments on everything when I read it I was really baffled I did not like the ending at all I was kind of like oh okay it ends um but what I what made me love the book is I love how fleshed out Edie is and I absolutely adore Akila. she's a little nerve nerd and she's obsessed with like anime and comic books and like she writes really weird like Batman Spider-Man fan fiction and like (laughs) everyone deserves 
like everyone who's at that awkward like 11 12 year old stage like deserves love and compassion and we should all be nicer to our 11 and 12 year old selves we should mm. let them write their weird fan fiction on the internet just it's fine they're figuring <laughs> it out good for them they're yeah. they're doing it but um actually raven lalani grew up as a seven-day adventist or adventist and she oh. left the church and she she went to an all-art high school that was like her thing but then then she dropped um she dropped it and went to study uh english and psychology and she graduated in 2012 and she worked used to work as an imaging specialist at an- ancestry.com she was also a delivery driver so like that bit was like so well written and just really like I kind of was like, she had to have done this herself, yeah. like she's really nailed on the head and she's now living in Brooklyn. But uh, yeah, this book just had massive critical acclaim last year. Like Chloe said, it was everywhere when it came out. Like I didn't need you to send in that cover. Yeah, I could have gone mm. luster and you were like, oh yeah, this one with the lips on it. <laughs> it is. It's a fantastic cover though. Like it's Beautiful. so eye catching. But um, mm. I'm just really happy that we actually had very similar thoughts on the book because I read it and then I told you about it and you're like, oh, and then you let me know when you were reading it. You're like, I'm not telling you anything. Like, yeah. I'm not telling you any of my thoughts, but I'm actually, I'm really happy that we actually kind of, I was like, yeah, I'm really disappointed that it fizzled out for me when I read it. Yeah, I, I think just... I got the impression that you disliked it, whereas I just kind of, was a bit disappointed by it I think because I loved the beginning I I was like I'm gonna eat this book up I think for me what I dislike is when there's such huge hype around books and that's something that I'm kind of getting very cautious about when I go out and I get books or like I'm thinking about what I want to read next you're saying that about Hamnet as well weren't you yeah and it it's something that I'm like there's so much hype that I I feel like I am going to be disappointed at this stage this you is know. why I read things like five years after they come out. Watch things five years after they come out. It took yes. me a whole year to listen to Be the Cowboy by Mitski for fear that I would be disappointed. <laughs> I, will, I, I wasn't a reader. I was it's, not. Chloe's going to tune in in the Grim Reader in 2025 and talk about Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. And we're going to be like, yeah, girl, we get yeah. it. Uh, that won't just <laughs> be Chloe. That'll be me That's as well. Be like, hey, I uh, wanted a student to talk finally about... put me on it. Because I feel like we're in the middle of a cultural reset with Olivia Rodrigo because she has that new song Good For You and I was talking about this with someone it's kind of going to make Paramore really 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 cool again oh yay it's that vibe but she went she's just very clever and I could I could talk about like it's a cultural impact she's having but like when I went when I mentioned her earlier to Becca Becca was like oh is she the one um oh what's she oh she's driving past the fella's house is it (laughs) Hey, I, I, you know me too well. Like my students have to tell me like what current music is, and they're like, "Oh, you definitely not." And I'm like, "I don't." No, I do not. Know like, no, no, you do. All. And you're like, "I really don't." I cannot stress to you how much I do not listen to the radio. Trust me. <laughs> all right, I really don't. But I was like, "Is it like driving past? Is it? It's not driving space. It's it's driving." <laughs> and you're like, "Driver's license." I said, like, "That's it." Yep. that's it see i'm somewhat hip somewhat somewhat (laughs) how do you do fellow gen Gen z she's a millennial leave her be (laughs) i'm old lads i'm old but yeah what would you give it out of 10 nikki yeah i'm interested to hear this now i actually think 
I would give it around a six or a seven. I think everyone nah, should read this because I think it's really good. Mm. And I'm so like unbelievably excited for her whenever she release, releases next because she's one of the best writers I've come across. Yeah. yeah. And I think I'd give it a six or a seven. I think I'd give it a seven. I think I'm going to land on a seven with this. Becca, I actually I your input as well here. Yes, uh, I'm actually very close to that. I would give it a five or a six. I think she is an amazing writer. I I do agree the first, I'd say, 40 pages of this book, because it's quite a short book. Um, yeah. The first 40 pages of this, like, it's so brilliantly written. Like, you are just, you get such a clear, vivid image of ED. Every sentence like, has eight. Uh, like, you you feel like you've read eight words about her and you know a hundred. Yeah. It's so but jam-packed it, and brilliant. It gets a little strange, and I, I did feel it fizzled out for me quite quickly. And then I was hoping that because I mean there was so much kind of tension between Rebecca and Edie that I was like something has to happen and the way it ended I was like this is it this is all you're gonna give me I yeah, I, I was a lot could have happened oh so and... much could have happened Ooh, interesting I think I might I have to read it yeah. I think you will you'll really really like it and um actually I watched I wanted to shout this out because I was yes I'm intrigued of this a lot I watched um a book I was basically I wanted to see other people's opinions on this book because it is so critically acclaimed like it's everywhere and I was like I wonder are other people like okay with this ending and with this kind of a big force behind it I know there's going to be other people who are slightly disappointed by it so I wonder are there and I saw a really good book by uh, Claire Reads Books on YouTube and she it's literally titled Millennial Fiction and her first video has a couple of books I don't know, but it has a year, my year of rest and relaxation that you covered, oh, yes. Chloe. She mentions that. My favorite book. And I, because I first, <laughs> <laughs> I first got brought to part two because part two has exciting times and it compares exciting times to this. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, and, and another book called Out by some, it's a male author. I can't remember his name, Marcus. I think it's Marcus. Um, what is it now? I know I have it here. Um, Lot by Brian Washington. Oh, I've started this book but never finished it actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it mentions the three of those and she talks about like, like what millennial fiction is and that like Sally Rooney's like we use her all the time as kind of, she's like the control point yeah. for judging millennial fiction and she talks about this. And it's about like women who find adulting hard. <laughs> and when she said that, I was like, oh, ouch. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also that there's this is her own quote because like she's she's so good with words. Oh, my God. She's so intelligent. Is this YouTuber, is it? This YouTuber, so okay. Claire reads books. She says that um, it's about a pressure to self-actualize with work and professional accomplishments, even in the face of stagnating wages and downward economic mobility, mm-hmm. aka millennial burnout. Oh, like, s- yeah, literally. When she said it that way, I was like, "Oh my god, no wonder we love reading these books." Because hello, get <laughs> enough of the mirroring. Literally, cannot love looking at ourselves. But um, yeah. Then she kind of talked about how it's unfair in a sense to class them this way because we're pitting them all against Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. and in order for them to succeed in contemporary fiction they almost have to abide to this 
and how many restrictions on writers is that effect of Sally Rooney having yeah so like I wonder could this book have gone a little bit further if not for this kind of millennial contemporary trap well the thing is though you have to think like when it goes to editing like how much of her original story might have been yeah changed do you know there's a lot of rewrites that happened you know it there yeah, could have been that's true too. a very such, different that's the thing there's such hunger for this mm. type of writing at the moment yeah a and publishing we, house will want it to sell well so yeah and we all we all buy these books and we all love these books but we do there just has been a disappointment in them since reading sally rooney yeah because she kind of nailed it in conversations with friends i think and once i read that book normal people disappointed me <laughs> and everything yeah, I've seen literally me. the exact same yeah mm. so I wonder I, I'd like to get out of this mindset of being able to not group them all together because I think oh, Luster like is oh, sorry. yeah Luster is way more than that but my gut is like ah oh, it's kind of this and I I wish she went further with some aspects of the book to take us away from that whole sad mm. millennial destroying their own lives thing yeah. yeah like it's an interesting in a way you kind of wish you could kind of scrub conversations with friends from your head because that was my entry point into that kind of fiction yeah. I'm just happy I still haven't read it so I'm like it's great. Oh, I love you, it. you do have read to read it because it is so good yeah, no, but it's it on my like, list it's the catapult into like oh, I really like this book I'm now going to read all of these books <laughs> I wouldn't enjoy it if I read it now though really I don't, I don't know if I would I need to reread it because um, mm-hmm. I felt the same with Emer McBride that I loved the lesser bohemians and then I actually that's her second book I actually went back and read her first book after it and I didn't like it but I would have loved it if I hadn't read the lesser bohemians mm. spoiler alert I might do those in future <laughs> uh onto my book sorry let me send it in I have to decide which cover I'm posting in um this one because there's no quotes on it even though the other one is really cool oh I love this cover. I love the new cover of it as well. Oh, I know about this book. Yeah. Oh, it's been on my list. Oh, for a while. Cover it. I was going to read The Idiot. That's on my list. And there's a review yeah, by the author of that on this. Okay. I'm already really stressed because my knowledge of anything outside Europe is so bad. And I'm so like, I'm so ignorant. <laughs> I'm like oh no I'm going to be I, I just I post a million apologies here because I should be way more informed. I'll, I'll introduce it as soon as I, I practiced okay if I butcher this pronunciation <laughs> this is what I, I mean I'm like oh I have, no I have practiced I'm be like Amanda Holden on Eurovision oh, so please please I I have tried so it's um this book is Kim Ji-young born 1982 by Cho Nam-ju there you go Okay, thank you. Um, I can see Chloe's like, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I was just looking at the cover. That was beautiful Korean. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, um, the cover is amazing. Isn't it? It's amazing. Every every cover of this, because there's a lot beautiful. Like like, every single one. This is one of the best book covers I've seen. It's it's so good. You could get this tattooed. It's that same like. The framing of it is the same mm. way you'd frame a tattoo. Everything draws your eye to the center. 
Oh, I, I just love it so much. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm looking at this mustard yellow book cover. There's a red outline of a city, and it's kind of done in a kind of box shape around the front, but it's kind of all the building windows are drawing your eye in these parallel lines right to the center of the book where we have um, this woman's kind of uh, female portrait here. And she's got like little... Um, She's got a, a bob to her to her chin and she's got black hair and it's a gorgeous side part. She's millennial. She's born in 1982. Born in 1982, she, girl. She's I don't remember what that generation is called, but I don't that's, get boomer energy here. That's just no, she's definitely not a boomer. Gen X millennial, isn't it? Yeah, I remember my mom is one of those and we've just forgotten again. <laughs> But yeah, so we're getting this um this portrait of her. Only her face is actually you. There's no face on this. Instead, you're getting the the text. Um, Kim Ji Young. Kim Ji Young. Yeah. Ji Young. Yeah. Um, cool. And then the author's name is at the bottle or the bottom. The bottle at the bottom. It's translated by Jamie Yang or Jamie Chang. Sorry, I'm zooming in on my laptop. Jamie Chang. And the review here by um, Elif Bataman, by the, she's the author of The Idiot, says, so important and so powerful. So the million copy international bestseller is at the beginning as well. High standard. Yeah. Mm. So like, immediately, I'm thinking this is kind of in a similar vein. I think it's like, with, with the buildings in the background, you automatically kind of associate this with like professional life and um so like high society kind of this high pressure cooker um work industry and i think this is um it, i think it's a life story anyway kind of do you know in the way they write forrest gump where it kind of it's picturesque kind of moments like leading the whole way up chronologically and i think it's written in first person so i think this is almost memoir style but it is fiction you guys look very serious right now. <laughs> yeah, listening. This is my concentrating face. So I think in the style of Forrest Gump, the way you're getting these snapshots of all these different moments in time, and we're getting a snapshot of if like all of the incidents happening between 1982 to present day. I think Kim is um, born into kind of on the cusp of middle class family that have gotten there because they've worked hard. Nothing's kind of been handed to her parents. They've kind of really climbed their way up into this um, social status through hard work. And they've really instilled that into Kim that like, you know, like you, nothing's going to be handed to you in this life. You've, you need to, you need to find your own success and find your own happiness. And I think it's it's less of the vein of what a lot of parents do where it's like you need to work to make money I think they're like we worked so we have money for you you need to work so that you find what you're happy doing and you're just able to support yourself I think they're really really loving so she is a happy child because of how loving her parents are though they work a lot and I think in ways she feels a little bit um, abandoned by them even though she knows she's loved. So I think 
in her like in her childhood to her teens she's a bit of a rebel <laughs> she gets, yeah. she's you're like, too nice to me girl yeah. <laughs> my parents love me again. <laughs> I think what it is is that like she knows her parents are really supportive of her but she's just craving more she it's it's what we all do we all crave attention when we're that age and I think she is like involved in an awful lot of social movements as a teen and she's like maybe she's like a punk growing up and all of these things that her parents wouldn't have been able to do because they they had to work and they had to match to level up to this middle class society because they started working class and I think in ways she's able to take advantage of that a little bit and be really like just a born creative and it's always like, Jesus, what's Kim going to do next? Not her. <laughs> Whichever. So I think we're getting these snapshot moments of her life. There's a lot of funny ones, a lot of heartache ones. She's involved in an awful lot of social movements as they come. But then eventually she hits her 20s and it's like, should I have to figure this out now? And I think her parents, um, maybe her, her one of her parents falls ill and all of a sudden she has to step up to this role of helping keep the household balance when they're kind of only coming into half half of their their yearly income and she has to grow up really really fast when she hits 20 and she's got a bit of a flair for it i think she starts i'm i always talk about people working in sales <laughs> but i think that's kind of what she does she's working in a corporate position in sales and because she's so creative, she's a really, really, really great problem solver, even though like she's a messy bitch <laughs> like me. Who lives for drama. Messy bitch who lives for drama. So I'm getting this whole visual of her in the office and like she, her desk is just paperwork and she's always being given out to and they're like, oh my God, get your shit together. But then when something goes really wrong, she's really calm um, because her whole life is kind of a hurricane because she doesn't organize anything. So she's just able to problem solve and she walks in really calmly with a solution and is able to kind of save the day again and again. Nikki so, Griffin, born 1995. Oh. <laughs> 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 That's me, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, I think she climbs her way up the social ladder, like almost like really easily. Because she's got the support of her parents. She's got the standing of what her parents have done. And she's kind of lived so much life already because she wasn't constrained by having to work or having to do really, really exceptionally well in school. That she's just got all this experience that a lot of her counterparts just don't have. And she really soars up the ladder very, very, very quickly. But then I think we hit the center point of this novel. And... um. There's a turning point. Something starts to crumble. And Kim is only as strong as she is because of people like her parents and people like her friends. And may I'm thinking like maybe a natural disaster happens. That kind of changes because nothing could go wrong. She's a really lovely person and she's got lovely friends, lovely family. And I think a disaster happens and she loses a lot of that. And the country around her goes into a mourning that Kim is such an optimist she can't kind of fit into and I think that's that's gonna be my guess here okay hey I'm excited to see what this is about now um so you started off actually right the oh. first like few sentences and after that I was like this is what I would want for Kim 
Jion oh, in no. this book. This is what I would want. Um, this is a book that I'd seen around for quite a while. Um, it was published originally in 2016 in Korea. Um, there was a movie made, like it was immediately like a bestseller. And then it was only translated, I think, from what I could find in 2020 and published yeah. in English. So it was surprising, oh like four year wait, but already like in countries, it's it's based in South Korea, but in countries like Japan, China, Taiwan, it, it is um, really, really popular. Um, so, and it's translated by Jamie Chang. So this book, Kim Jeong, born 1982, um, our protagonist, uh, she's older than 20. She We meet her when she's 33. Um, so she's married and she seems to be in a very loving marriage from what we're told in their history. Um, but it's, it's, I would say it's a little bit strained at the moment. They've just had a child, the, their daughter's maybe a year old and, um, when we meet her, we're told she's not well. Um, mm. she starts acting a little bit odd and sorry, the mo- Kim Jong or her Kim daughter? Jong. Kim okay. Jong. Oh, okay. Um, so we kind of see that she's very frazzled. Like she is overworked and overtired. Oh, she's a hot mess. She's, and what's happening is she's actually slipping into other people's personalities. And her husband originally thinks like she's joking. She's mimicking them. But she actually believes she is them. And some of them, they're all people she knows. They're all women that she knows. Some of them are dead. And um, the worst incident of this happens at some um, celebration that they go to her in-laws, so his parents, and um, she's asked a question and she is her mother. Kim Jong is, well, is acting as her mother. And what she says isn't something that would be quite respectable. She kind of gives out that she has to do all the work when she gets there, that she doesn't see her parents for this festival and his parents do not react well and are shouting, saying, this is no way to treat your elders, like disrespect. She's like immediately bundled out to the car with the child and um, she goes to see a psychiatrist. So it suddenly ends on this point. Like this isn't quite giving mm. it away. It kind of tells you at the back, the blurb about this. So then okay. you're kind of questioning what's going on. So everything following this is now snapshots from different moments in her life. And these different moments I wrote uh, it are chronicle the everyday struggle of women against sexism. Ah, you am back to my good old classic man bashing. Um, so apologies to the men. It's not all of you, but so it, it is when I say this book, I've been really excited to talk about it. I read it really recently. I had it on my Kindle for a really long time and eventually was looking for something. It's really short. It's only about 160 pages. Oh, like okay. you will read it so quickly. Oh my God. Like I devoured it. And when I say there are moments in this book that will get you so angry, Oh, oh no. the, the, the author just gets it perfectly. And I, I will describe why. So we meet her actually, we we don't meet her first. We go back to before she's even born and it's her parents. And um, their first child is a daughter. Kim Jeong comes next. She's the second child and again, a daughter. And already we're opening up the stage to the sexism because her mother, Kim Jong's mother, apologizes to her mother-in-law that she gave birth to a daughter and not to a son. 
So already, it's it's institutional. Let's just say that it's institutional. Mm-hmm. So eventually, um, a son is born. He's the third child, and there's a huge difference in dynamic now. How he's treated. Um, Kim Jong is scolded a lot if she even attempts to take baby formula. She she likes how it's kind of sweet. Um, that she's told that she's robbing food from her brother's mouth. Um, when he gets older, he gets a room of his own. His two sisters have to share with their grandmother. Um, he's fed first. He's always looked after the most. And you, we can kind of see that Kim Jong puts up with a little bit her her sister not so much she kind of calls it out a little bit more and i really like that you know um she kind of questions it mm-hmm. so then we we kind of we move on and she's going to school so we've kind of got a little bit of her home life and there's how she's nikki hmm? she's there's your snapshot moments or snapshot moments she's not listening <laughs> I am. Oh, I think um, I didn't know what Chloe said. <laughs> so, uh, next we go to school, and this very interesting, um, completely you know different culture, different school system, but um, they're kind of given all numbers, but all the guys have all the boys have the first numbers, and uh, they got called on first to go to lunch. Um, so they have longer to eat all that girls have to go have to wait and then they're given out to that they're slow eaters and get and this is actually happening this isn't yeah well it's it's fiction but a lot of it is fact Mm -hmm. um and like at the school there's a flasher and the school don't do anything they give out to the girls that actually the girls actually band together to stop the flasher and even their situations as they're kind of developing then they're going through puberty that um they're they're touched quite a lot inappropriately by students and by teachers oh my God. and it's really disturbing even uh kim jong is bullied by a boy she sits next to and the teacher tells that her that oh he just likes you and you're like he doesn't like me like this is like he is bullying me you know he's being violent he's you know he's interrupting my work all that kind of thing so then we've got school so it's it is building like we see all these points of her life how she gets really frazzled i mean university is even worse oh you know um we kind of get the her sister wants to be um work in television production she gives up on that dream because her mother tells her you'll get a you will get a job if you go into teaching (laughs) you know and um, thanks mom Kim (laughs) um she goes and she does I'm fairly certain it's marketing and she gets on well we we don't she seems to enjoy college life um Rebecca yes you're forgetting to give me praise (laughs) validate her (laughs) validation there we go Nikki um and we kind of see her kind of have a few boyfriends and how they treat her either as property or kind of there's one relationship she has that is quite nice um another boyfriend i didn't like he seemed overly jealous and then like when they kind of end those relationships end like someone one of the other guys were like i wouldn't touch her like she's someone's gum that someone's just spit out you know disgusting but he's lovely to her face and you know it, it just it's this downward spiral and then she's going looking for jobs and 
the men are given the advantage like first choice they're put forward a lot by the college for early placements and jobs and it we can see how Kim Jong she's getting desperate like she she had criteria that she wanted and it's slowly just dwindling you know she wanted to be in a large corporation they won't they literally won't even answer like she doesn't make it to the interview stages in these companies they will not hire women um and then eventually she when her first interview i think and she's asked a really inappropriate question oh there are three women candidates and they're asked a very inappropriate question of what if a senior director a a male director um does something inappropriate to you what would you do and they each have to answer and um she finds out later that she didn't get the job and she asks did who did get the job and he said none of them Oh my god! You know, and oh, like that. Oh, I was like that. Like HR, get that man fired. You can't ask someone that in an interview. Like, what? The question is, what would you do to help me in that situation? Not what. What would I do? Um. So it's incredibly difficult. Um, for her to get a job when she eventually does get a job. Um. The work environment is hard she ends up being the person who cleans up everything or organizes the meetings like she's won't say the skivvy but it pretty much is and it's because she's the youngest they say it's because she's the youngest on the team it's because she's the youngest woman on the team and her boss is a female and seems to be a a trailblazer but even then she kind of admits the mistakes that she's made in the job that she came back after only one month of maternity leave or was it even only one week of maternity oh, leave God. and she said now the bosses now expect every woman to do that oh. and she admits that mistake mm. now maternity leave is a big thing that's brought up in the book um it seems to be something that's really looked down on by um workplaces in korea and seems to be a big no-no uh they they don't want to hire women because they're like they're going to have babies and they're going to leave but they make it so difficult for the woman to actually come back to work that she ends up having to actually give up the job then. Driving them out. They're they're driving them out. So that's if they can manage to get a job eventually. Do you know, it it is shocking. Like the the levels, like when I say this is, it will get you angry. (laughs) Um, And like in books like this, like she does it just perfectly with the examples. Um, So there's an incident that happens at the workplace that I'll talk about. But um, it's she then we meet her and she becomes a mum and she um, returns to work, but she finds it difficult even when she's pregnant and she goes on maternity leave. I don't actually. Does she return to work? She says she's going to return to work and then she doesn't. But when she goes on maternity leave, like she's heavily pregnant and people even when she's getting the the commute home or something, or if she goes out for coffee. She got on the bus and Edie was there and wouldn't let her sit down. It's Yeah, it's pretty much like that. Uh, People are like, oh, you got yourself into this situation. (gasps) Do you know? Um, Even there's a horrible incident where she goes uh, for coffee. And like, it's one of her only outings out of the house. And I think she's had the baby at this stage. Like she is just so downtrodden at this point in the book 
and like it's a short book and it all just you can see how it would mentally drain you and um it's kind of like this quiet release and there's a group of men that are out on their lunch break and they see her and they're like oh like look at this woman you know uh she's living off her husband like what a mum roach oh, oh so like i was like when people I, call women breeders like i, I literally was like i just want to reach into the book grab you by your neck and just strangle you like how dare you and like it's really disappointing because what's always kind of hinted at is that they had her husband and herself had a really good relationship and i think he just doesn't see her point of view at all like he it's very much a book where the husband might help out but like he does not do housework mm-hmm. you know he he expects you to do everything he expects you to have the baby ready all that and it, it's just this whole disconnect to what she's going through so you can see why she might slip into you know um being ill or something like that um mm-hmm. And it, it's, oh, like there's there's so many things that I haven't even touched on in the book that I'm like. I was so like getting riled oh. up with you there that I forgot that this whole personality disorder element. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, Sick. So this, this all, all these snapshots are not told by Kim Jong. They're told by her male psychiatrist. Now, oh. I didn't quite cop that till mm. the end of the book when we're suddenly given this like narrative like maybe i'm stupid and i missed a point earlier on in the book (sighs) and even then he shows his sexism by talking about his um secretary or something like that having to leave on maternity leave and he's like right i'm not hiring a woman that's going to have a baby next like highlighting it what i loved what i absolutely loved is throughout all of this there are also facts and statistics to back up what the writer is actually saying and i i loved oh, it amazing. it was it was such kind of an insight into korean society and you know like it is actual fact like you can't say like oh no that's not true like this is actually factually correct um and it really highlights the wide gender divide that's there. I mean, she talks about, um, she supplies statistics about them being the worst country, developed country in the world with um, for women in the workplace. Um, women are paid 63%. Um, is it 63% less? Oh. Find, or 63% of what the men are paid? Like, it's, it's shocking. It is absolutely shocking. And it just it delves into the societal norms that are in this country and the attitude towards women in South Korea. Like it's Mm -hmm. a very damning book on it, on them, on this country, like a very damning book. And you're like, you, you really have to just be like, Jesus Christ, like this is horrific. Like the, the, um, kind of this over-sexualization of them that happens, this high expectation. Like there's so many quotes in the book that just, rips it to shreds and really calling out the society and even when i was reading some uh articles and they like one of them was actually by um uh korean and she says that but she she was like i've been waiting for a book like this to come out like this is just amazing another quote was by like an 18 year old saying that she didn't know that you could actually question the society in the country oh and it's i think it is a really powerful book um like i was hooked beginning to end and when it ended i was like oh my god 
you know but I need even justice. it it's 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 it is amazing and you know i you kind of like what happens to kim jong but she's used as this kind of example which is horrible because kim jong i found out is one of the most common names in korea so it's actually okay, it's as if it could be anybody any woman james smith exactly uh, an article actually calls it jane doe and okay. i just think it it she's used as kind of this fictional person that you could just imagine yourself in her shoes um because i mean as i know it's based in korea but you're like you will relate to a lot of stuff that happens to her like you will have lived it's through a situation and i would say a bit of a trigger warning nothing violent happens in the book to a woman but i would you know i got angry some people might get upset that it might bring back horrible memories um for them it'll be a bit triggering but um a bit of a trigger warning um i felt the narrative was excellent and a quote that i didn't actually couldn't find who said this um but um i would think the the narrative is very dry and clinical like it's definitely a psychiatrist writing it but it brings this really excellent like claustrophobic quality to the book that you just it's all like you can feel it just getting tighter and tighter around you as you as you go to the finish and you're like why isn't anything getting better um but a quote about why it was written like this and i just love it um because someone compared it to parasite i haven't seen it oh my god someone compared it to parasite have to watch it it's one of the best things in art it's amazing but it's 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 a male perspective and someone writes yes similar but um what cho namju did by choosing this very dry clinical um writing style was that she freed the text from any whiff of female hysteria which i absolutely love that people couldn't be like oh it's just women like just getting really angry and blah blah like i'm doing now um and i i just love that because you know that's something that a lot of people throw out at you you're like oh you're just an angry woman do you know you're or, not gonna uh, believe it. oh it's like i'm not even gonna name names but uh, i went through an instance of explaining why the word feminist wasn't women deserve more than men that it it, it was the same basically someone was calling themselves an equalist and i was like right. feminist and i was again and again week to week and then they just turned around they're like Oh, I actually saw a boy podcast. Yeah, he's talking is like, like men can be feminists. Like skin off. Things. I've been saying this to you for how long? Is it going to make sense? And a man says it, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's it's oh, really amazing. really pisses me off. But um, yeah, it's just it's an amazing book, and like, I think any woman would, that would relate would relate to it. But I think it's it's an incredibly and powerful book that I would recommend to any man that listens to this podcast. If you don't understand our reasoning behind why we would get so angry, this book sums it up. I think it is such an important portrayal of what women have to go through. And like it, I I would say it is, it's an everyday struggle. Like, um, but about this book, what I found really interesting um, is that this book was a huge controversy in South Korea. Probably yeah, not surprising given the uh, subject matter. If the society is yeah. the way she's talking about it being. Um, so it was actually published during a political upheaval. 
um, their female president was being impeached or being called on to impeach. Um, and um, for actually very uh, clear reasons when I looked into it. And um, there was a widespread cry for change. Like I actually read um, an article that talked about this book coming out right after a woman was murdered by a man because he thought he was that she was belittling him. I This is ringing a bell with me. Yeah. And um, like I was just horrified about that. And I think he killed her on like a public subway or something. Anyway, oh, um, so this this book came out around this time in 2016 and people are calling it the Korean Me, Me Too book. Yeah. Um, it was viewed as a lightning rod for feminists in the country and feminism. All right. And it called on it kind of caused quite a lot of conversations. But of course, anti-feminists or women haters wrote in there <laughs> we like to call them on this podcast wrote in there and started a crowdfunding campaign to release a book called Kim Ji-hoon born 1990 which showed the reverse discrimination against men and just silence or if the mic picked up that exhale there <laughs> um, like, I didn't even oh, exhale I had to hold my breath I was about to like, scream the amount that this book kind of um, like articles like I would research into it like it's very interesting I think it's something since we've started the podcast that I've absolutely loved doing is actually researching the book and like finding out what might inspire it or anything around the book, do you know? And I just think this one is just fascinating. I think as well, because it's a completely different culture, completely different society, that you're just like, wow, I did not know this was going on. Because we view Korea as such a developed country. Yeah. Do you know, I, I would not have thought this of them um, or about this country and wow. But um, there are some amazing quotes. Um, I will get up a bit about the author because she is... A badass. Um, um, Chu Namju is a former television scriptwriter. In the writing of Kim Ji Young, born 1982, she drew partly on her own experience as a woman who quit her job to stay at home after giving birth to a child. This is her third novel, and it has a, had a profound impact on gender inequality and discrimination in Korean society, and has been translated into 18 languages. So you go on, girl. You rock it. Um, yeah, like I read an interview where she was really fascinating to like, um, to read it and yeah. Oh, couldn't recommend this book more. It was, oh, a powerhouse and literally was so excited to talk about it, um, on the podcast. So apologies. Oh, it just uh, so important. It really is. Um, I just think it, it just hit the nail on the head a lot. Like it's all for me anyway for others they might not get the same from it but i just thought like wow that is just um knocked it out of the park for me and yeah i'm excited to see what she she does next um so yeah oh, i really but want to read this it sounds incredible it, it is it's um i think i saw it was on offer in vibes and scribes so um Get yourself in there. Are you Carconians, get out Carconians, there. Go on. Um, <laughs> support your independent bookshops. But apologies for such a long uh, chat on this book. Uh, no, I, think, so I feel important. like you're about three stone lighter after. <laughs> I get I get really excited about certain books. And um, yeah, this is obviously like, uh, a nine or ten out of ten. Like, 
oh loved it amazing um, like it's one I'd go back to mm. um just it the way it's written it just really like hit me right so yeah mm-hmm. so yeah this common theme with all of them we did a lot of uh bit of man bashing <laughs> bit of man bashing man bashing episode I just call it man bashing from now on since John said it to me. The, the grim man bashing readers. Spectacular, yeah. extravaganza. Yeah. Um, we should just call this Sorry John. Sorry John. <laughs> I was going to say it's Donkey, y'all. Because <laughs> you're a fantastic drawing of Donkey from Shrek. Yeah, no, that's actually that's a good title. Apologies if the audio kind of cuts up a lot. My internet was shocking. So hopefully I'll get that sorted for the next episode. But until then, uh, follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, Twitter. Um, send us book recommendations and um, hop in our DMs if you want. We love that. And until next yes. time. Bye. 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 Buenas noches.